0: Almighty God how amazing you are Lord we look up in the heavens at night and we see all the stars how amazing is the universe that you have created for us Lord how much more amazing must you be for having done that Heavenly Father we cannot even imagine how great you are and how amazing is Your love that You would send Your Son. Lord, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for all the blessings in our lives, the ones that we see and the ones that go by unnoticed. Heavenly Father, we thank You most of all for Your Son who came down and died in our place so that we could spend eternity singing praise and worship you and your Son and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears this morning to hear the words of your prophet Isaiah as he takes Israel to task for their lack of faith. Heavenly Father, let us understand and hear. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, um, I got to tell you guys, um, I'm a paid employee again. I did not apply for a job, but these guys called me up. They needed some help. And so... I signed some paperwork tomorrow. (laughs) What's that? Um, We're going to be here. I'm I'm doing all this remote. They're they're in North Carolina. And um, they heard about me by word of mouth. So um, it's a small thing. It's not going to take a whole lot of time. Uh, Triton Aerospace is the name of the company, and um, they have some sort of a a contract with the Navy, and I'm not sure what's going on, but I'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing? It's only going to be like five hours a week. (laughs) <laughs> we're we're going to negotiate that tomorrow. <laughs> I'm I'm already getting paid either way. <laughs> okay. So it's possible it's the wiring, it's not it's, It might not be you, Kathy. It may be the wiring. When we put it together in the back so it's it's going okay so all right i'll i'll press ahead um we're looking at isaiah 50 we're all the way up to 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 isaiah 50 here and we're going to look at verses one through six these are really the the first few verses are are really just they're almost like paragraphs and once again this is either a poem or a song because it's in stanzas. You can see Isaiah is um, is either singing this or reciting it. And um, We'll find out if, if this works or not. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll fix it and then it won't record watch what you know so um so this was actually uh pretty intense when i when i read through it and you'll kind of understand and i actually threw some stuff out because there was so much and so um i i'm only doing six verses but um it's it's a pretty good six verses so let's go ahead and start And Isaiah 50, verse 1. And Isaiah says, Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce, in which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. So recall previously that... uh, did that one get posted, by the way? Probably not. It oh, it did? Okay, good. So um, what, what happens here is... So God lets them have it here just like God let Job have it, too because things were being said about God that simply were not true that God had forsaken Israel no that's not what happened here so recall that Israel says the Lord has forsaken us when things are good Israel pays lip service to the Lord but at the first sign of difficulty or trial these same voices cry out that God has failed so this is very much like in Exodus too, when the people are crying out as they're leaving Egypt that they want to go back to Egypt and, and live under the Pharaoh again, forgot having forgotten how bad it was. So here we have um, the first sign of difficulty or trial. These same voices are crying out that God has failed. And so the Lord replies, where is your mother's certificate of divorce? Where did God come back and say, you're no longer worth the trouble. I'm walking away from you. That that does not happen. So this first part deals with divorce. And we all know the verses about divorce. We're, we're going to look at those here in a moment. So God is replying with sarcasm. Okay? So whoever said that God doesn't have a sense of humor, that's actually what he's doing here. He's, he's actually... Um, letting these people have it with sarcasm. So looking back, Leviticus 24, 1. Leviticus 24, 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then he finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. So God asks, Israel, Have you seen that certificate of divorce? Of course not. It was not God that failed, so the trials came. Okay, later, Jesus gives us another lesson on divorce. So this is out of Matthew 19.8. Matthew 19.8. Jesus is speaking here. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. From the beginning, it was not so. God did not design it this way. It was our fault that God put this in in place. So it is not God who required divorce, but it was the hardness of the heart of man. It is our failure, our lack of faithfulness. But from the beginning, it was not so then God continues on and he says something about creditors here behold for your iniquities you were sold and your transgressions and your mother was sent away so God has something to say about creditors too two kings for one yes now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets Cried to, to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So it was with creditors. When the poor could not pay, they would impress the poor into slavery. This is not what God had intended or designed. In Exodus 22, 25 to 27, it talks about this. Exodus 22, 25 to 27. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak, in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. The Lord tells us here how we are to act and what we should do. The Lord hears, the Lord knows. We are not to be like those. Those creditors that come and demand usury of the people. Continuing on, Isaiah says, Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? And I love this next part here. Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem, or I have no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. The first part here, the Lord is asking why there is no man that stands up to answer. Because this is not how it's supposed to be either. Isaiah was not one of these people. Back in Isaiah 6, 4 through 8, we find this, Isaiah 6, 4 through 8. And and I love Isaiah's response. I could not do this. Isaiah did this, and this is awesome. And by the way, verses 1 through 3 here is a song that we do. This is, I saw the Lord... that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then follows Isaiah's commission from God. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Isaiah does a very incredible thing right there. And as I said, I would not have the courage to do that. Did you catch that when it went by? There's another piece there. The burning coal touches Isaiah's lips. It's funny. I read a paper this week, a scientific paper, and it was a paper about sociologists had done and this is what they had to say about lip touching. This is great. There was an experiment sociologists had tried on spider monkeys, okay? And so they took the very young monkeys and put them together and a woman sat in the area with the young monkeys, and she pulled out a sock puppet and was treating it like her baby, okay? Holding it, cradling it, and kissing the sock puppet. Then, the sociologists mimicked that the sock puppet was in distress, and all the monkeys got very agitated right away, and they all turned around and looked at the woman to do something. So then, they repeated the experiment with a different group of young monkeys, all right? And But this time, the woman treated the sock puppet as her baby, holding it and cradling it, but not kissing the sock puppet. And then when they had the sock puppet act as though it was in distress, the monkeys became agitated but they did not look at the woman to do something about it. These animals were wired by God to have that response. We are wired by God to have that kind of a response also. That there are certain social relationships that are very, very close. And it was actually very funny. This paper went on to describe it as, sharing of spit okay and if you stop and think about it um, who are the people that you could comfortably share a drink with okay you think about that Um, your children your spouse your siblings your parents maybe your grandparents and that would be about it you can just imagine you know around my house it's hey this is really terrible come drink this right that's the sort of thing that happens Usually, my son's on me, right? God touches Isaiah's lips. So, what is it about this piece of coal that, and remember what it said? Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, when I hear those words, there's only one person I think of immediately, right? It's the coal is representative. It's a metaphor. Okay. What's with the coal? Genesis 15. I'm going to read 7 through 12, then 17 and 18. Genesis 15, 7 through 12, and 17 and 18. And this is Abraham. And Abraham falls asleep and he has a dream. And get this. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not there. Okay, skipping down to verse 17 now. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. It was the smoldering pot going between the animals the second time that seals the covenant. Who is it that seals our covenant with God? It's certainly not us. We have no ability to compensate God for our sin, for our failures. There is nothing we can do. Obviously, that is Jesus. And the one who makes us clean so that we can stand up and say, Here I am. Send me before God. That is Jesus. God asked the rhetorical question Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or that I have no power to deliver? A very good question. We all know the answer. No way. Is God sovereign? Or is he not? If you say yes, have you thought that answer all the way through? Is God truly sovereign over everything? Including you, right? How about the choices that I make? Is God sovereign over that? He must be. If God is not, God is not sovereign. You need to think about that. God says, look, I dry up the sea, I make rivers into deserts, and the fish die. Stop and think about it. Is God sovereign, or is that just something that we say? Lip service to God. Verses 3 and 4. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. It is the Lord who upholds the heavens. I had two nights during our break here where I walked out and we're, we're watching a foster dog right now so we've got this extra dog around our house and trying to learn how, how our house operates and so I have to take the dogs out in the evening before they come in for the night and I'm standing out there looking at the stars and My dog is used to me wandering around, looking up. And two nights in a row, there was a meteor. Came from the same place, headed the same direction, across Cassiopeia and Andromeda. Both times. It is the Lord who upholds the heavens. The prophet Isaiah here listens and waits upon the Lord. The prophet gives us the words of the Lord. Isaiah listens. He is the one that is taught by the Lord. And he has that ability. Continuing on, verse 5. And Isaiah is starting to shift a little bit here. And you'll catch this, verse 5 and 6. Verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Prophet Isaiah did not rebel against God. The Lord opened Isaiah's ear, and Isaiah did not turn away. It was a difficult thing that Isaiah had to do and go and tell the Israelites, you're doing this wrong. You, you assume that your trials and tribulations are God's, God is causing this on you. In fact, it's the other way around. And how often do we not think of things that way? That we blame God for what is going on around us when it's our mess. Verse 6 right here, Isaiah, says something. And this is included in the previous verses. There's, There's a break in the stanza after this verse. After this verse. This verse is included with these previous verses. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. So, to me, when I read that, of course, I had the immediate reaction, but there were two others that I had as well. There's a triple implication here. That first, this is the prophet and his treatment at the hands of the nation for bringing the words of God to them. And they rebel against God. And this is the way they treat Isaiah because of that. Or two... This is the nation of Israel. The people of God are suffering at the hands of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And these are the trials that the church is going through, the people of God. Or number three, and this is the one that immediately hit me. This is a prophecy of a future servant of God that will come and suffer at the hands of evil men. And the servant that God sends is his very own son, the crown prince, the son of the Most High, Lord of the universe. The Lord sends his son, Jesus. Or maybe it's all three. I think it's all three. Isaiah is trying to tell us something very, very profound at this point. That there will be a servant that will come. So I'm going to close off at this point. And Bill's going to pick it up for a couple of weeks. And then I'm going to tie up this end of Isaiah. And then we're going to start on a new section in Isaiah. And it's going to be very, very cool. Very Very, very cool. Isaiah is... This is a really hard lesson because the church is not doing what it's supposed to. It's failing. It's failing the people of God. It's failing God. And the people of God are saying... God, why why don't you do something about this? And that's not what they should be focusing on. God is trying to teach them something through these trials and tribulations, and they're focusing on something else, on their comfort, on why they don't get things the way they want them to be. And they're not learning the lesson that God is trying to teach. And so they treat Isaiah very badly here. Isaiah is trying to point us to something greater that is coming. And the church does not listen to him. And in a like manner... They did not listen to God's servant when he came either. And not knowing what they were doing was actually serving God's purpose. They killed the son of glory. And Jesus willingly goes and dies in our place. Jesus could have stopped that anywhere. but he went and died on a cross for each of us. And that is truly profound. Let me close in a word of prayer. Almighty God, how amazing is the history of redemption. That everything points to this place. That we are coming to a climax of the Old Testament. That this is the peak here that Isaiah is bringing us to. That he is trying to tell us something incredibly profound. And how often we miss Those pieces, Lord. Heavenly Father, come down and open our hearts that when we read this passage and look at it, that we can see Jesus not in the background, but coming to the forefront. And it was Jesus that pays the penalty and walks up on that hill. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts so that we can see Jesus. And Lord, we we ask that you forgive us for all the things that we have done, all the failures where we have not stood up as we should have. Lord, forgive us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son did come down and pay the penalty for us. And that we can stand before you on that final day. And when Our names are called. We can stand up and say, Here I am, as Isaiah did, with confidence, knowing that we are redeemed. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, how amazing you are, the love you have for us to do these things. and your gentleness. How incredible. We thank you and we praise you.